to the, this message today. This is going to kick off a campaign, as you've noticed, guys. What we have down here in front, uh, there are some suggestions and instructions on page. Um, I'm going to ask you to open your heart up this morning, beyond just open up your Bibles, open up your heart and your mind uh, today, open up your ears, and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you through this challenge and through this campaign. So I want to bring the message today titled, Who's Your One? Who's Your One? We heard uh, Brother Dave Dahmer on the Wednesday night. Uh, if he wasn't here, you, you should have been here, but on that Wednesday night when he, when he preached on this and and uh, he brought this idea about evangelization and he just uh, about evangelism and winning people to Christ. And, and he mentioned just for a brief moment about this little campaign. Now, this is not my idea. Uh, matter of fact, it wasn't even Brother Dave's idea. It's a, it's a national campaign through another organization. I'm borrowing the title and the thought. Amen. I'm not borrowing any scriptures that they use. I have no idea what they use scripture wise. I'm going to bring a message that I believe the Lord has put on my heart today to challenge each and every one of us to have at least that one in our life that we are willing uh, to pray for, to politely, persistently invite to church, or to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, or both. And as you see what's set up here in front, uh, there's a white, um, there are white ta- uh, golf, uh, golf balls, or white ping pong balls in one container. You can write the initials of your one on that and then place them in the little uh, glass bowl. When that person, if you're praying for them to come to church, then you're going to take a yellow one out and you're going to put it in there. If you're praying for that soul to be saved, uh, you're going to take a red one out, which is the picture of uh, Christ's blood covering their sins, and then you're going to put that in there. There are bands up here. It doesn't have our church name on it. It's got Fellowship's name on it. He gave me a bag of those things, and uh, you you can wear them around here to be a constant reminder. And I know some people may say, well, that's a bangle, that's a bracelet, may not not be where. You know, man, you, you can buy into that all you want. I could care less, to be honest with you. If there's something I can put on my wrist, finger, hand, or between my eyes as a reminder uh, to, win some, to try to win somebody to Christ, I'm going to do it. You know, guys, when men start preaching their preferences over something that is challengingly scriptural, amen, then there's a problem. Their preferences have become idols unto them, and they become an idolater. And again, I understand the principles. I understand what someone's uh, convictions may be. You carry on with that. If that's your convictions, I, for me, would rather have something that is a continual reminder every single moment that I'm awake that there is at least one person in my life that I am steadily praying for, on the phone with, inviting to church, or being a witness to them. And you say, why should we do that? Well, the better question is, why should we not do it? Amen? You've been given a gift of eternal life, the greatest gift that's ever given to mankind. If you hold that to yourself, the Bible says that you're guilty of withholding the truth. Amen. I'm just here to tell you this morning that our Lord Jesus Christ loves people. He died for people. And there needs to be a minimum of one person in your life that you're willing to commit the time to, the dedication to, to to get into the house of God. Fill these pews up. Amen. I mean... Listen, shepherds do not begot sheep. Sheep begot sheep. It's the Christian responsibility to do that. I hear it all the time about, uh, you know, Pastor XYZ, he built that church. He's building a church, amen? I mean, if a a pastor is building a church, that's a man-made device that's going to die with him, okay? And I understand there's even a challenge with that. I'm here to tell you today that we have a Christian responsibility. If you are saved and born again today, you have a responsibility to daily be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to compel them to come into the house of the Lord. Do not tell me you are a Christian and saved if you're not convicted when you're away from church. That does, that's incompatible with one another, all right? 
They were committed and dedicated in Acts chapter 11 to the house of God, to the word of God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the world called them Christians. Amen? So it does not, you can't tell me, oh, I'm a Christian, if you're not convicted when you're out of church or when you're not in church. Amen? Church is part of a Christian life. Amen? And amen. So we want to talk about who's your one today, that single individual. And again, as you heard what Brother David said, you can have more than just one. You can have a family, amen, that you're praying for, that you're witnessing, to try to get into the house of God. But who is your one? And there's great, there's, there's many examples in the Word of God, many examples in the Bible where the Lord Jesus Christ makes a difference just in one soul's life, okay? We do have this idea somewhere in the back of our mind, and I tell you, especially us preachers, uh, if we're not careful, we fall into this, this rabbit hole. We have this idea that if we're not reaching the masses, that we're not doing what God called us to do. Guys, sometimes, I don't know when, but sometimes the Lord has put one individual in your life that you may win them to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? You know, Philip was commanded after going and kicking off a revival in Samaria. He came back and was trying to get some rest. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his heart and says, listen, I got a job for you to do. And he, he goes out there, he witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch who came to Jerusalem looking for God, looking for answers. It was that one individual, only Ethiopian that was there that he, was, he spoke to. And tradition or history teaches us that when that Ethiopian got saved and born again, he went back to his country and evangelized the entire nation. That from that seed of salvation, an entire nation came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, we've seen the same thing in the life of Jesus Christ as well. We'll get to Luke 15 here in just a little while. But we see that in, in the life of Jesus with the widow of Nain, one of my favorite stories in Luke 7, 12 through 15. The Bible says, now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, watch this, he had compassion on her and said in her, weep not. For he came and touched the bier, that's the casket, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Beloved, you know what this shows us today about this individual individuality, if you will, of ministering? It, this shows the Lord is concerned with our daily earthly lives. So often we get so heavenly minded that we think Christ is not interested in what we're doing day in and day out, hour in, hour out, minute after minute. But he is. He's concerned with how we feel. He's concerned with our sadness, our joy, and beloved, even our happiness at times. And I know joy and happiness are two different things, and happiness is a result of what happens, and joy is, is, is a result of putting your trust and favor in the Lord Jesus Christ. I get all of that. But he could have said to her, you know what he could have said to her? He could have said, hey, listen, lady. You're going to be reunited in the resurrection. It's all going to be good in the future. I mean, he could have said, hey, listen, you'll see him again one day. And, uh, you know, which, we don't know this boy's life. She may not have seen him. But instead of those comforting words that we have to use in this world today, the creator of all things decided to have compassion on her very issue at the moment. Not a spiritual or theological exercise to attempt to make her feel better and looking for death, but right here, right now. He had compassion on her present moment. You know what you could say? You could say that he was intentional in her life. Wouldn't you agree with me this morning? The woman the sidecar is another fine example, another one of my favorite stories. A woman who had openly sinful lifestyle, 
She had had five husbands, and the Lord said unto her, and as he moved to rebuke her for shacking up with someone else's husband in the present day. Beloved, this lady, we know the rest of the story. This lady was saved. This lady repented. Her testimony led to more salvations. And on top of it all, the Lord Jesus Christ spent 48 hours, two extra days in the city where countless souls believed. And yet it all started in John 4, 4 that says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Guys, this shows the necessity of the Lord traveling out of his way, so to speak, to one woman. A woman who everyone in the city would have shunned until they wanted something for her. And yet the Lord sacrificed his time. He was willing to have the difficult conversation about her past and her present in order to save her future. You could say he was invested. You could say he was invested. There's a woman that we, we've read about many, many times in Luke chapter 8, a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, and, and where the Lord had stopped what he was doing in the midst of a throng, and the results are found in Luke 8, verse 48, and he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace. Yet another one of my favorite stories. This particular woman, guys, was at the end of her rope. This was the last margin. This was the only opportunity she had to be near the, the only one who could heal her. She had wasted all of her substance on everything the world could offer. And yet she heard that Jesus was nigh and she went out and she broke every single law. She knew the consequence of going into public. She knew that with the issue of her blood, with her disease, that if she went out and whomever she touched was contaminated and that she knew that she could be stoned to death just by being out amongst people. You know what the Lord could have said when he, she touched that hymn? The Lord could, have, the Lord could have, have passed her by. He could have said, the law says X, Y, Z. The law says this, but he didn't do that. Everyone was in a hurry, and yet he stopped, and after virtue had already left him, after her issue was already cleansed, just to let her know, he says these words, thy faith hath made thee whole. Beloved, he was willing to slow the roll of life. Boy, that's hard to do, isn't it? Do the right thing despite the knock-on effect that could have happened, despite his potential weariness, or even those that were around him. The right thing was to bless this lady who had suffered so much. You know what you could say now? That Jesus Christ had integrity. That he had integrity. Look in your Bibles there. I know they're going to be on the screen, but it'll be rather small. But look in your Bibles in our text verse this morning in Luke 15. In Luke chapter 15, in verses 1 through 7, is where we find yet another example of the Lord Jesus Christ being interested in one individual soul, in one particular person, in one particular man, woman, or child who is of great need. Luke 15, verse 1 says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. 
I say unto you that, uh, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. This parable, my friend, the Lord uses concerning the man leaving the, the ninety-nine sheep in search of just that one, his one, if you will, isn't a lack of concern or love for the ninety-nine who are present. But rather, it is a picture of compassion and persistence for the one who has wandered out of the way. And beloved, in our life, we are surrounded by souls. Some, uh, a few I might add, are, are headed for heaven. If we look at the national statistics of how many people in our own country who are saved and born again, you would agree with me this morning that the overwhelming majority of people that you come into contact every single day, should their heart stop beating right then, will open up their eyes the next time in the devil's hell. That's the numbers today. That's the numbers in a post-Christian nation. That's the numbers in a nation that has been lulled to sleep, that has bought into the lie of infant baptism, that has bought into the lie of a state church, that has bought into the lie of false doctrines, that has bought into the lie that everything's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, uh, you know, we're this, we're that, and we're the other, we're all going to heaven. They bought into that lie today, and they say, I have no need of the Bible. And yet they don't know anything about it. There are people that we come into contact with, even for a few moments, who may never know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, lest we who possess such truth and knowledge share it with them. You say, preacher, that's a great weight. Yeah, it is a great weight. But what a great gift. Before we go there, guys, I want us to look at the world we live in. Mind our world has some unbelievably beautiful things in it. The more when I wake up in the morning, I, I love the fact that our sun comes up so early this time of year, and, and I wake up in the morning at 4.40, something along that line, and, and uh, you know, the, the sun's barely cresting the horizon. It is a beautiful thing to see. We live in a beautiful, beautiful world. Yet at the same time, we live in a world that is mean. A world where people are selfish. A world where people are switched off and sensually driven. When I say that, I mean they're, they're driven by the flesh. They're driven by carnality. There are things that we can do to place ourselves in these souls' life and their day to simply make a difference. But the first thing we must understand today that if we're going to make a difference in a soul's life and whose your one will be, at the end of this sermon, guys, I've already asked you in the forefront. I've asked you to open up your heart, your mind, your ears. Allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God to set in. And at the very end today, I'm going to ask you to participate in this today. And you may sit back and say, nope, I don't want to do it, not going to do it. And you know what? That is your prerogative today. But I'm telling you right now, if you close your heart of compassion on this simple little task, far be it for me to say where your heart and your mind may be. So the first thing when we look at who, who is your one, the first thing that we look at is we address and we try to reach out to that one in our life is the first thing we need to understand. We must be intentional. Intentional. Verse 4 says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, watch these next few words, doth, leave, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? You see, there is a purpose behind the man's movement. 
Uh, with purpose, he went after the woman that was lost. With purpose, he left the security of the 99. They're okay. They're good. They're all right. They're locked up. They're in the fold. Okay, they're good. I'm going to go and leave them and put the trust in themselves so I can go reach this one. He didn't just hope for it. He didn't just pray for the lost sheep. And not that we should not. But with intention, we are to go after them. This was his one. And therefore, with intentionality, he, law, he, he sought after the lost sheep. I want you to think about it. We should pray, most certainly. But I want to ask you this question in your heart and your mind. In the last six months, how many people have you sat down with intention and shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with? How many people in the last six months have you with intention came to someone and said, hey, I'd like to invite you to my church? If you're doing neither one of those things, guys, you are just floating through your so-called Christianity. If you're not doing any of those things, guys, how dwelleth the love of God inside of you if you're not willing to share the precious gospel of Jesus Christ? And invite souls to your local church. You must have and you must be intentional with your one. Number two, we find that this man that would leave the 99 and go after the one, we must be just like him. We must be invested. Invested. Again, we go back to verse four and look at the latter part and go after that which is lost. Watch this until he find it. And guys, I realize we covered the topic of, of going and getting your own uh, when we, we preached on Joshua and Israel on the other side of the, of the Jordan. Remember that? And yes, the Lord fed them in the wilderness. Uh, the Lord provided water for them. Uh, none of which, guys, they had to labor for, but now it's different. When they got to the Jordan, get ready to cross and go to the promised land, all of that was over with. God said, I'm not going to feed you anymore. You got to go get your own. I'm not going to give you water anymore. You got to go get your own. Houses are already built over there, but there's some work you're going to have to do. You're going to have to get up, put your shoes on, amen, and you're going to have to get after it. We are no different today. If we want to see souls saved and born again, guys, we are going to have to go after that which is lost until we find it. Just like the woman at the well. In order for her to be saved, uh, to hear the hard truth and the heavenly truth, uh, guys, subsequently countless souls coming to Christ over, over the period of two days, he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs. It didn't say that he could go through Samaria or he should go. It said he must needs go through Samaria. If you're going to see your one saved, you're going to see your one come to church and get locked into this local church right here, you must needs go to them. And yes, you should pray for them. Guys, there has to be an investment, a time placed into the life, just like this dear woman, as well as other people. You know, another thing we can draw from this woman at the well is this Samaritan. Well, social norms were broken. Now, let's back up in our mind. We won't spend much time there. But, you know, back up in our mind and, and, and remember the Pharisees that sat around and the scribes when Jesus Christ had called uh, these publicans and sinners to him. He received sinners. You see, Jesus Christ broke the social norms by sitting in a well having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. But you had the do-nothing religious who said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Hey, guys, if a difference is going to be made today, if a difference is going to be made in your life and in my life and the life of those that are around us, it must be made by intentional investment into soul's life. That, what does that mean? Yes, it's going to cost you something. It may cost you time. It may cost you talent. It may cost you treasure. But in the end, who's your one? 
And are they worth the investment? I'm going to say yes, they are. They're worth the investment. I remember the testimony of a Tommy Tillman, a missionary we supported for years on in. He was a missionary to the to the uh, to the um, in Thailand uh, to the lepers to the lepers of Thailand. Tommy Tillman had 16 stints in his heart, put into his heart, and was still serving God on the mission field. His son ended up starting another mission field for the lepers in Cambodia. When Tommy first went to Thailand for his, what we may want to call a survey visit, he was passing gospel tracts out, and he, he went by, before the Lord had really convicted him about the, uh, the leper colony, he went by to a leper on the street, and that leper said to him, he said that, you Christians come over here and you give us these pieces of paper. But you never one time come to our house and have a meal. You never one time come and sit down and drink something with us. You never one time spend time with us. In other words, what he's saying, you never really invest in our lives. Tommy said, let's go. Tommy went to his house. His wife had no hands, but with her residual limbs, she prepared a meal. She served it on the table. Tommy and the family sat down. They had that meal. Tommy stayed the night with them in their home. And when he departed the next morning, the Lord already laid upon his heart what he would do. And for the next multitude of years, Tommy would build a, a, leprosy, a leper colony there, seeing souls saved and born again beyond, beyond a shadow of a doubt. There was a time when Tommy was standing on the, on the brink of the desert, and he saw off in the distance, some of you heard this story of me tell this before, but off in the distance he saw what he thought was a figure. And he stood there to see what would come out about this figure. He stood there to see what would appear. Am I just seeing something or is it something? And an hour plus would go by until that figure would come into to focus. And another hour would go by until they got even remotely close. And, and a certain amount of time would finally transpire until they got to, to where Tommy Tillman was. And it was a leper from another country who had walked for days where somebody had given him a gospel track with Tommy's name on it. And they said that if I was told that if I could come here, you could show me the way of eternal life. My friend, it's going to have require an investment on your part. I'm asking you here this morning, are you willing to invest into the lives of others? It may cost you some time. It will. It's going to cost you some talent in your life. And it may cost you some treasure, but in the end, whomever your one may be, it'll be worth it all. So who's your one this morning? Beloved, not only is it going to require us being intentional, not only will it require us to be invested, it's going to require integrity. Look in verse 5, and this may sound a little bit odd to you this morning, but in verse 5, and when he, had, when he had found it, he laid it on his shoulders. This is speaking of the lost sheep. The Bible says rejoicing. Now you may wonder what laying a lost lamb across his shoulders has to do with integrity. But I want you to look at the big picture this morning. Many people can list their one. They can go after their one. They can even look for their one. <clears throat> but my friend, it's going to require integrity on your part to finish the job. It's going to require labor, and I'm going to make a statement here, and it may not sit in your life whatsoever, but the truth of the matter is that we see too many men and women in ministry today who are just flat-out lazy. I'm not talking about the pews. I'm talking about the pulpit. 
I ain't talking about women preachers either, amen? I'm talking about husbands and wives serving in the ministry together who are flat, slap out, lazy. They're good at looking busy, sounding productive, but the cold, hard fact, they are simply lazy. Lazy missionaries, lazy evangelists, lazy pastors, you name it. They have failed in going after the one who needs the Lord Jesus Christ and or the church the most, all because of a lack of integrity. They have not integrated into communities. They have not invested into individual souls and lives. They have not with intent went after the one in the wilderness. For for this matter, many of them don't even know there is one in the wilderness because they're disengaged in their community and they're disengaged in the country they are supposedly called to serve. And that's a lack of integrity, my friend. Integrity is defined as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Again, it sounds as if it's not linked together uh, with this verse, but can I tell you this, uh, guys, integrity is linked with labor. Honesty will drive a man or a woman to go the extra mile in helping the lost sheep back to the fold. And yes, even if it is just one, loyalty, which is linked to honesty, would enable a man or a woman to pursue the soul who is floundering in life, seeking to help them in their daily need. Strong moral principles will compel a man or a woman to invest and to be intentional for this one, for the one in your life, for the sphere of influence that you have for the Lord, who's laid that him or her on your heart, to keep visiting, keep praying, keep loving, keep speaking, keep listening to all of which is required to bring that one home to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we must be intentional, my friend. We must be invested. We must have integrity, and I mean absolute integrity. Guys, this isn't a game. And I do believe a lot of times that we, we're confused about what Christianity is. We think we go to church, we read a Bible, we pray that we're being good Christians. Can I tell you what Christianity is? This is war. This isn't a game. This is war. It is a battle for the soul, and there's no room in the Christian life for laziness. A lazy mind is antithesis with Christianity, biblical Christianity. As a matter of fact, laziness is incompatible with Christianity altogether. You look at some of the words from the screen today that the Apostle Paul utilizes uh, in describing uh, the Christian lifestyle. He refers to us as soldiers. He says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He uses the term husbandman, which is a farmer, if you will. He says, the husbandman that laboreth must first part, be, first, be first partaker of the, of the fruits. That laboreth, if you will. He, he uses the title, a servant, saying, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Why? That I might gain the more. We could preach on that about the Sundays. He uses a, an athlete, if you will, saying, "Know ye not that there is one that run, uh, one? Uh, sorry, know ye not that they which run in a race uh, run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain." I hear schools nowadays are having non-competitive sports days. You know that way nobody will be intimidated of being a loser. I got news for you: you're all losers in that. Amen. Non-competitive sports days, life is a competition. Life is a battle. When you don't get a job, you don't come out of that saying, woohoo, I'm a winner. No, you lost to someone else, amen. Non-competitive sport days, are you kidding me? Paul says he's going to run all. 
that you may obtain. He says he's a servant to all that might gain the more. He says the husbandman that laboreth. He also uses the terms of a fighter. Oh, we don't want to talk about fighting today. No, shouldn't fight. Shouldn't have. Hey, listen. He says here, I therefore, uh, he says, I say therefore so run, not as in certainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, wasting punches. He says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. In his last letter, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Lovers of ease who spend more time on the phone talking or texting are foreign to the high calling and high privilege of the Christian life. Beloved, we must have integrity in pursuing the one in our life, the one we would see saved, the one we would see in the church pews today. We must be invested if we will make a difference. We must be intentional in exercising of both. And lastly, beloved, If you're willing to commit this morning, if you're willing today to say, I'm going to be intentional, I will invest, I will possess integrity and allow it to drive me, the result, the benefit, the beauty of it all, our one, the one who we have prayed for, sought for, invested in with integrity and intent will now be included. Oh, my soul. Verse 6, and he And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. There's an inclusion with the lost sheep. Do you remember when you were saved? Do you remember when you got saved, when you were born again? How that connection that you were part of something that you were not part of before, you were convicted of being lost and on your way to a devil's hell, and then all of a sudden there was this inclusion that you had in your life. This sheep is now part of a fold. He's rejoicing with friends and family as well as with those whom he has never known nor seen. What a blessing. What a reward for this soul who is lost, wandering in the wilderness. Tell me now, be included in the family of God. Beloved, it's a two-way street. The inclusion can be a soul who knows not the Lord Jesus Christ. They are destined for a devil's hell, filled with an eternity of torments, and on top of it all, they'll go to hell as an intruder because hell was created for the devil and his angels. But nevertheless, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So your one can be someone today who is lost, unsaved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, when, you're, when you're called today, when you're challenged to come down and take one of these white ping pong balls and just write the initials down. We don't need the name. Just write the initials down and place it into that globe right there. It can be someone who knows not Jesus Christ as their Savior. The other side of the street, it could be someone who is saved. They do know the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe they've been born, they've been out of church for a long time. Maybe something has happened to them that caused them to become bitter or hardened. Maybe life got too busy and shame, you know, shame drove them away from getting back into church. Who knows? Guys, if, if I had a list of excuses people gave me why they quit coming to churches, I could write 14 books. Not one of those excuses will matter when you stand before Jesus Christ. Not one. You know, man, people will go to McDonald's. I've seen this time and time again. People will go to McDonald's, and they'll mess the order up nearly every time. 
There'll be the wrong burgers, wrong fries, wrong shake. They'll mess it up every time. They'll keep going back to a place that's killing you. They get unhappy in church. The preacher preaches a sermon that, that they don't like, or he doesn't make enough phone calls, whatever, and then they won't come back to church. What a shame. Nevertheless, guys, that may be your one today. The Lord knows, and if they are out wandering around in the wilderness in this life, he wants them back in the fold. That could be your one. There is no greater gift than bringing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to someone's life. For them to believe on him with all their heart, soul, and mind, placing their unfeigned faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for them by, by the completed death, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' own words, he says in Luke 15, verse 7, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. I want you to imagine, just think about that with me for a moment. Joy in heaven. When one soul comes to Christ, imagine the shout. I don't know how many angels there are. I have no clue. All right? I just know they don't have wings. Amen? I don't know how many necessarily cherubim there are. I don't know if there's more than... Then the four, who knows? I don't know. I don't know how many seraphim. I do know this, according to Isaiah 6, that their wings sounded like a mighty rushing water. So I'm just going to say there's a whole lot of all of them. Can you imagine in unison, every, every heavenly creature shouting for joy when one soul gets saved and born again? My soul, man. That ought to make you, that ought to drive you that there alone today to write those initials down and take this commitment up into your heart and your mind. Imagine the shout. A value, guys, which is beyond number. Do you know the total cost of Christian outreach? The total cost now. The total cost of Christian outreach averages $330,000, which is 284,000 pounds. For each and every newly baptized person. Now, by indication, that baptized person means there's a name on the list who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they've been obedient unto biblical baptism by immersion. Not sprinkling, that doesn't count. Okay? Infant, infant doesn't count. That's, that's all static. So I'm saying, I'm making that point. That's where the statistics come from. 284,000 pounds total Christian outreach cost for one soul come to save and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your mission money. Actually, this is American mission money because it's only based on American cost of sending missionaries out. When you start doing the global cost of what other countries are doing, whew, is it worth it? Every penny. Every penny. You can't put a cost on a soul. There's an unbelievable value in a soul. So I'm asking you this question this morning. Who's your one now? It could be two, it could be three, it could be four. Hey, who's your one now? Determine who they could be. It could be a family member. I mean, who could love your family members more than you do? I mean, it could be a close friend. I mean, who do you want to tell, uh, you know, when you have news, good or bad news? Who's that person you want to reach out and talk to? It could be a neighbor, the person living right next door to you. It could be a co-worker, the one who works across the desk from you, or the one that you chat with in the break room. 
could be a cashier, a server in a place that you go and you frequent week in, week out. It could be a classmate. Someone you see in class, a library, a lab. It could be a teammate, somebody who plays in the same league. Hey, it could be an online friend. I know that's where we are today. We've got to face that reality. Someone that you engage with on social media or maybe a game. It could be a fellow parent. Who are the parents of your child's friends? It could be a workout buddy, workout partner. Who are you training with four or five times a week in the gym? You're with them 30, 40, 50 minutes a, a, a day or, or five times a week. Any and all of these guys uh, of whom we come in contact with every day, these are souls in our life and every one of them can be your one today. Now, I'm willing to say this this morning. I'm willing to say that more than likely, you have your one already in your mind and heart. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three, but you have them in your heart today. You know who you want to pray for and who you want to be persistent with. You know who they are. So I want to ask you, is it worth your time? Every second. Is it worth your heart? Every beat. Is it worth your mind? Every thought. Is it worth your labor? Every drop of sweat. So before we close in prayer in just a moment, who's your one today? Who's your one? Bailey, you got a pen right there? Before we even go to our closing prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats. I'm going to ask you to come down here. And whoever your one is, you take a white ball out, just write their initials on, put it in that aquarium. Now, before you say, preacher, you know what? We're, we're private. Come on up here and do it, because you know who your one is today. Accept the challenge. Get out of the seat and take it on board this morning, if you will. You come. Bailey, take the pen. Whoever your one is, you go ahead and put it in your charge. Grab yourself a band and grab you a sheet of paper when you come up here this morning and put that one in the, uh, in, in the paper there. Here's another pen if people need it. We, we don't have to wait. Come on. Who's your one this morning? That one person, grab a band, <laughs> grab a piece of paper. The piece of paper there, guys, is a, are suggestions of whom you're going to, who it could be, things to do. So I, I suggest you take the paper today, look it over, read about it and whatnot, and just jot down those initials. We don't need names. The Lord knows. Amen, amen. Who's your one this morning? Praise the Lord, guys. Praise the Lord. Now, the challenge will be is when that one comes to Christ or when that one comes to church or both, the red ball will go in there along with the white one when they get saved, the yellow ball or green, whatever color it is. I can't tell the difference. Uh, that'll go in there when they come to church. So, guys, you don't have to be called up to do any more or any extra after that. But when that one person comes to church, you just simply come up here, grab a yellow ball, put it in there. Praise the Lord. Amen. When that one person comes to Christ, you put that red ball in there along with the white this morning. Amen and amen. Who's your one this morning? What a blessing.